Hiring? With Indeed, your search is over. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Thanks for listening to Saints Happy Hour. We are a family here. You know what families do? They support each other. And if you aren't a patron, we need your support. All the great content you consume for free takes time and money. If you love the show and listen regularly, please become a patron. We need you. Supporting Saints Happy Hour can cost you as little as 23 cents a day. That's what the Saints should have paid Kenny Stills. So please, go to Patreon slash Saints Happy Hour and support the show today. Hey, Ralph. Ralphie. Andrew. And Dave. All right, I got uh, a little intel. Your Saints Happy Hour podcast? Yeah, yeah. It's a joke, all right? And I'll tell you why. You, Ralph, you mispronounce everything, okay? I listen, I go, what the... Does he not know the English language? All right, Ralph. I try to get an English class in there every now and then, okay, pal? Hey, Andrew! Think you're smart, huh? Think you're smart? You're in big trouble, pal. You piece of shit like you for breakfast. And then, of course, there's Dave. Dave, a little obnoxious? Got a little bit of a chip on your shoulder? Huh? You gotta get, cut people down all the time? Is that what you gotta do? But uh, know that life is good. Appreciate it. Do what you do. Keep on keeping on. Shoot out. <laughs> All right, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Saints Happy Hour Podcast. Thanks for joining us. You should support the show wherever you get your podcast. Become a patron. It allows us to do amazing shows like the one we're about to do right now. Uh, so do it. Uh, subscribe. Support the show where you can. Uh, Andrew, I'm excited. We have a friend of the program. He's back. Former NFL Executive of the Year. Former Saints General Manager. Miami General Manager. Chargers. He did it all. Randy Mueller, friend of the program. Randy, thanks again for giving us time. Hey, my pleasure. You guys had me at happy hour. When I heard that, I signed <laughs> up. So I'm ready to roll. Love it. Well, uh, obviously, so the Saints just hired Dennis Allen, Randy, and uh, it was a comprehensive search, I must say, and uh, obviously he has big shoes to fill with Sean Payton leaving. So I was just curious if you can give us your thoughts there. Yeah, I think it's, uh, well, as you guys know, I I have a few connections left around there. (laughs) Um, I'm not surprised that they stayed within the Saints cloud, so to speak. I think it was important for Mickey and for his group to find someone that knew of the Saints culture that even had participated in it. They've had a good thing going for a long time. So it made sense. I think Dennis is well thought of throughout the league. Um, I think the other thing is, and there seems to be two different schools of thought here about reaching out to a coach that some use the word retread for. Mm -hmm. I always say this, are are you better at your job now than you were five years ago? Mm -hmm. I know I am. And so that's always the case that the next time around, you're going to be way better at it when you get in that big chair. And I think that'll be the case for Dennis as well. I think the saints think they have a good team and if they can minimize somewhat uh, change, I think they think they will be at the top again. It's not like it's a division that other 
franchises are, you know, in control of. I think the Saints control, you know, uh, kind of their own narrative. Sure, we have Tampa Bay in there, but obviously Tom Brady's gone. Carolina's struggling. Atlanta's, you know, on a rebuild. So I think if the Saints minimize change, and I think that was Mickey's goal to start with, it's going to help him in the long run. So I like the hire. Randy, if you could be in any division in the NFL, wouldn't you want to be in the NFC South? Like it's just it's 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 chaos and turmoil and and like you said, a bunch of rebuilds. Like I think if you polled executives and you're like, if you can move to any division, where would you want to be? I think the NFC South is where you'd want to be, right? Well, I think you'd have a you know you'd have an easier chance there than a lot. That's for sure. I'm out west and I see the NFC West and the AFC West. That's right. Two places I really wouldn't want to be. So those are dog fights. Uh, yeah, I think it's all cyclical, right? I mean, Atlanta, you know, with Terry Fontenot now is trying to rebuild, but they're kind of hamstrung with no salary cap room, so they can't really build. Uh, Carolina has made some strides, but it seems like every time they take a step forward, they take two steps back. So, you know, and who knows what happens in Tampa now? I think the dynamic that Tampa operated under the last two years has totally changed. I don't know if it's chaos, but it's definitely changed now without Tom. And so I don't think their rope is quite as long uh, as it once was. So, yeah, I think it is a good spot. And I think that truly is part of the reason that Dennis Allen was the right fit at the right time for the Saints. You know, the Saints. Go ahead. Go ahead. ahead, No, I was going to say the Saints were one of the last teams to hire a coach. And reports are Allen may may make substantial changes to the offensive side of the ball. How much harder is is it when you're hired this late in the hiring cycle? Because the Saints were the last team along with the Texans to make a hire. You know, I, I see that a lot of, of uh, media platforms and other places that it is a giant disadvantage. I think this, I would rather be right than first. Mm-hmm. And I know this, there's a lot of good coaches out there and Mickey's process was thorough. I think fans should be thankful of that. I think you can find good coaches if you look harder. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think they're, if they do make some changes, I can totally understand it because you can't be stuck in the past and the way Sean did things forever. So I would try like they are to maybe look for some new ideas, some different ways of doing things, but at the same time, not blow it up. So I think, you know, by waiting, I would rather be thorough. And I know Mickey's process oriented very much so. And I think that's a good thing in the long run. I think they'll find the coaches they want. The other thing is they know they don't have to fill a whole staff either. Mm-hmm. You know, their guys are going to be set for the most part. There may be, like you said, a few changes on offense, but I think that can be done within the context of where they're at. It's just super interesting. I've always been fascinated by the prospect of interviewing a bunch of candidates. And I know you've gone through some head coaching hires in, in your experience of doing it as a GM. And I'm sure the process hasn't changed that much from when you were in New Orleans to the way Mickey does it now. But I'm just curious if you could kind of talk us through when you go through that interview process with head coaches, what are the major differentiators you're kind of looking for uh, to kind of give you clues as to who gives us our best shot at success? And you know, obviously with Dennis Allen, they had a guy who they knew uh, and, and all – he was the odds on favorite to get the job before the process even started, but mm-hmm. you still have to do your due diligence. You still have to talk to these other really viable candidates. So how do you kind of, as you're talking, what kind of questions are you asking and how do you kind of differentiate and, and separate them from each other? Well, I think they are unique. There's no doubt. Now, Mickey and I worked on a couple of these throughout our careers. As, as you know, we were together for over 20 years. So we, we think alike in these terms. I think 
we come from it differently, but we end up in the same place. And I think that's important. Um, I do think the uniqueness of it makes everybody's criteria a little bit different. So each team has to build their own set of criteria. And I know Mickey did that. He had a specific criteria in place when it all started. Um, but each, each to his own as well. I mean, you've got to find the right guy based on where you're at as a franchise. In other words, where's your roster? Where do we think we are in developing players? Where are we in, the, in a build or retool? To be honest with you, I think every NFL team has a retool every year, just the way it's set up now. The average team you know, changes rosters anywhere from 25 to 35% of the time uh, every year. It always is changing. So you've got to take that into account as well. The other thing is you have to take into account the, the guy or the leader who. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at SCS. .georgetown.edu/podcast was exiting and what his strengths and weaknesses were as well. You know, you don't the personality of that guy matters. Um, the the way he sold his program matters. So a lot of your criteria I think can be built on the exiting coach and where your franchise was from a communicating standpoint, from a a, a football IQ standpoint there's a lot of ways to look at your team and the right fit for you as a coach might not be the right fit for the jacksonville jaguars so to speak and you got to be okay with that yeah you know randy like andrew said when uh we hear all these interviews and we're not in them and and, and you guys you know the process like you said you were with mickey for 20 years when teams say like he's a good fit we had the same vision what the heck does that mean about a coaching hire? And can you give me can you give me an example of and you don't have to name names necessarily, but when you you hired a, you brought in a guy and you were like this guy's going to be great, and then you're like, oh, that doesn't that doesn't align. And maybe you brought somebody else in and you're like, hey, this guy I wasn't really expecting us to maybe have the same things, but it really clicked. Like, what specific examples of that when we hear these buzz terms like fit and vision? Can you give us some specific examples of what that means? Well, these organizations are big and they're multi-leveled. And when you get a job like a GM or a head coach, there's a lot of things that are involved with that. It's no longer about just game planning Monday through Saturday and and uh, rolling it out there on Sunday and see how it goes. I think you you end up building a little box within your own organization. And some, bo some boxes are tiny. For example, the Giants box that they built for their coach might be smaller and less consuming than the box the Saints built. Sean carried a, Sean's box was a big box. He was involved in personnel. He was involved in you know, a bunch of the scouting aspects of it. That may not be the vision other places have. In some places, they just want a coach. In, in, in a way, they kind of devalue it, so to speak. Same with a GM. In, in the you know, last decade or so, 
GMs have been devalued a little bit too, because nowadays people want uh, player pickers. They don't really want team builders mm -hmm. because you have a cap guy who does his thing. You have a scouting people that do their thing. They don't really want anybody checking and balancing them. Mm -hmm. They want a player picker who stays in his own lane. So your visions do have to line up in that you've got to understand what the job responsibility is. That's the starter. That's the starting factor, right? Once the job description is built, then you find the right guy to fit that. And then you talk about, like, for example, a coach specifically, how involved do you want to be in personnel? Some guys don't really care. Some guys aren't good at it and they admit it. Mm -hmm. Some guys don't really feel their coaches should be involved that much. And I'm not saying there's a right or wrong, but it kind of depends on the head on the GM and where his mm -hmm. strengths and weaknesses are as well. Uh, so it kind of just depends on the size of the box, the scope of the responsibility that each franchise has for a coach or for a GM. Here's, here's yeah. another example of it. Yeah. a lot. Of, and I always go back to the GM side because it's what I know the best. But there's a lot of GMs now that get younger guys that get jobs as GMs that have never done a contract in their life. They have no idea how to negotiate a contract. They've never negotiated one, never been involved mm -hmm. in the cap side of it at all. Some organizations like that, they want that cap and that finance part to operate independently. They don't want the GM to have any say in deal making. They don't really want him to value the deals per se. I came up in the, in the era where the GM valued all those deals and you had a hand, if you weren't negotiating them, you were in, in the background helping negotiate them. So they've, they've built limited boxes is more now than ever before because there's a lot more agendas within each of these buildings and i think that carries over onto the coaching side as well that's super interesting yeah you know like the saints have a unique situation here where there is a lot of stability there's not a lot of mickey and and jeff ireland are still the staff that's kind of managing the roster managing the cap uh dennis allen is an elevation uh but he's a coach that was on your existing staff. And a lot of this staff is going to stay the same. And so there's not a lot of change. And yet you lost Drew Brees two years ago. And now this offseason, you lose Sean Payton. And not just the decisions that he made and his leadership, but the personality and just, you know, all that goes away. And so I'll be honest, I couldn't help but feel like, and especially when you consider the Saints' current cap situation, Maybe this was the time to have a complete overhaul uh, to, to it, because I'll be honest, the part of my fears are that you're trying to execute a vision that belongs to Sean Payton without Sean Payton there. Right. So I, I'm curious if you can react to that because that, that's the biggest, I have mixed emotions. I, I think Dennis Allen is a, is a great coach and yep. I think a lot of Saints fans feel great about this hire, but that's kind of the, the last hurdle that I have to, personally get over that gives me mixed feelings about this i'm curious if you can kind of react to that and tell me if you think i'm crazy no i don't think you're crazy i think it's very relatable and i think it's a smart take on it i think one thing and i'll say i had these discussions but we have over the years mickey and i the thing that sean gave them was a little bit of a, not only like you say a personality but to, for my money he was kind of the glue guy as well he worked worked the building he worked the between personnel and the coaches. He kind of worked that whole area. And I don't know if that makes sense to you guys or not, but every organization I think has to have a glue guy or two. And maybe if that's the part of Sean that's missing, I don't, and I don't know that Dennis can't 
be that. I have not mm -hmm. seen that, but that might be the part you're alluding to as well. There needs to be some glue that keeps all of us together, so to speak. I always kind of prided myself in that that was my, I was a people guy, right? I like to mm -hmm. deal with all people in all parts of the building. Some days I would get done with my job and I'd say, what the heck did I do? I spent all day talking to everybody. You know, and I'm thinking, well, that's part of the job, right? Keeping everybody on the same page and on the rails. Mm -hmm. And I think Sean did that. I think he kept them on the rails at all the time. Now, whether he was involved in the personnel mm -hmm. part of it, 20%, 30%, 40%, I don't know. But that to me is another, and I'm not saying it's missing, but I just don't know. That's another area of doubt. So did they give up when Sean left a a, a, a football operations role of 30, 35%. Where are we going to fill in there? Mm -hmm. Is that Mickey? Is that Jeff stepping up? Is that somebody else stepping into that role? See what I mean? So there's, there is some, some areas of grayness right now that weren't there before. And I think anytime you add grayness to the whole process, it takes a time, takes, takes time to sort it out. So we will see if they have that in Dennis, if, if Jeff ends up taking some of that, if Mickey, pushes into that role a little bit too. I don't know. There's definitely a hole there that needs to be filled. Um, and with the people they have in place now, it's going to come from the thought process that's been there. Mickey chose to go that route of a thought process that they've used as opposed to anybody from the outside being interjected with something new on, on the front office and personnel side. Yeah, it was an interesting point you made about, you know, not getting in the sandbox. I was thinking of Philadelphia where I read that article in the athletic where the owner had his draft board and personnel had their draft board and <laughs> analytics had their draft board. And I was like, Oh my God, how can yeah. you, how can it function? And the point you make about Sean Payton kind of going between all the three of them yeah. and like, Hey personnel, are you on the same side where? Cause you, you talk about the filling of the vacuum, right? That Sean's gone. Somebody has got to fill mm -hmm. that void. Where does that sort of go wrong in your experience where like a person leaves and like it doesn't get filled? Is it, is it things that don't get done? Is it, is it clashes? Both people want the power. Where does it start to go wrong in that? Because I'm really interested in that because like you said, somebody's got to fill that. Somebody's got to make these right. decisions that Sean used to drive the bus on. Right. Yeah. Time will tell. I don't know. And I don't know the dynamics well enough there to know who leans on who. I know this Mickey's area of expertise isn't really personnel, right? Because he's a finance guy. He's a cap guy. He listens to the football people. That's his background. So I don't know if he listened to Sean 80%, you know, and, and got all of his information that way, that's going to have to come from other places now as well. So I, I don't know if I can answer that because I don't know where the full vacuum will be filled from, but I do know that it's a results oriented business. So we'll find out sooner than later if that vacuum is being filled. So I, I, I hear you. I think you guys both bring up valid questions with regard to the transfer of power, so to speak. And sometimes it's, I think that the saints have an assessment of what their team is. Mm -hmm. And one element I always like to use when I was in charge of a team is sometimes I would like to have an independent set of eyes too. Mm -hmm. somebody that didn't draft the guys we did somebody that wasn't involved in the team building. Therefore they don't have an agenda. They have no horse in the race just to get an independent set of eyes on what we're doing. And Mickey's a smart guy. He probably did that and maybe viewed, uh, you know, got somebody else's opinion of where we are roster wise, where we are personnel wise. That's something that I always used. And there are a lot of GMs in this business now who are afraid of that. They wow. don't really want another 
set of eyes. They're, they're thinking somebody's going to question what they're doing and make them look bad. You know, Hey, I want opinions. I don't have to listen to it all, but I want opinions are information for me. And whether you get that through analytics or an independent set or an independent evaluator, I always think it's a good thing. Yeah. It's fascinating. You know, I, I think about obviously very thankful that Jeff Ireland is now on staff and that he helps manage the personnel, uh, especially with Sean Payton leaving. So, you know, that that's one thought. And, you know, it's all, it's interesting. Mickey Loomis has said that in interviews that he kind of doesn't want to go over six hours. And there was a report out there that with Eric Bieniemy, they went eight hours with him. So that went way over kind of his usual structure. And it, to hear you, the, the thought just came into my head and I, I, I've been thinking about this. I wonder if they knew that Dennis Allen was their guy all along, but they were going to give him a chance to interview and they were going to give him, you know, due diligence and all that. But I also, part of me wonders if they didn't go the eight hours with Eric Bieniemy for kind of exactly what you're talking about, that audit situation where, mm -hmm. hey, our offense is a mess and we've got a guy outside our building that is going to give us an evaluation of how he would fix it, how he would address these issues. And you know, we've got, we've got, we're going to have a new coach. We're struggling big time on offense, no quarterback currently, um, mm -hmm. big cap deficit. So it's going to be difficult to fix that. And uh, just to get his philosophies and get a smart coach in the building to give you his independent thoughts is kind of exactly what you're talking about. I wonder if that was part of the Mickey strategy there. Could very well have been. I know this, that Mickey felt, I don't know that he had his mind made up ahead of time, but he, he felt good about the people he was going to, to interview. And so a guy like Eric Bieniemy, he maybe knew less about, and maybe that could have explained the extended time with him. You know, you bring in a guy like, uh, uh, Aaron Glenn, who's been around there and he knew more, that interview probably didn't take as long because they are familiar. Um, maybe Leftwich took a little longer. Maybe Bienemy took a little longer because he didn't and wasn't familiar with him. But sure, you, you, hey, I've been on many interviews where I thought they were just picking my brain for the last couple hours just because, <laughs> but that's part of it. You know, that's, yeah. you got to understand that that's part of it. It's, I think it's good for both sides to still have the dialogue, whether anybody's made up their mind or not doesn't really matter to me. I'm, I'm always glad to share opinions and hear others as well. So I don't doubt that the, that Eric Bienemy kind of being the outsider um, still would have made sense to them because they would have probably been able to keep the offensive coordinator, the defensive coordinator all intact if that's what they wanted to do. So I think it's all part of the process is the process. And I always say that. And mm -hmm. some people's process brings out highlights in people some uh brings out strengths some brings out weaknesses it's all part of the whole deal though and you know uh maybe he maybe mickey tested uh the enemy more than others just because he didn't know what he was dealing with i'm just surmising i don't have mm -hmm. any insight on that particular interview yeah it's interesting you talk about the interviews because the four teams in the nfc afc championship offensive guys right reed shanahan mcveigh taylor and then you look at the young play callers, LaFleur, Kingsbury, doing well. It's a copycat league, Randy, and everyone wants the new McVay, right? Some teams are finding that that works. But the Saints, they went with the defensive guy. Do you think the modern NFL is shifting away where it's going to be harder and harder for the defensive coordinator, the, the guy whose experience is on the defensive side of the ball, to have long-term success or is it going to go in cycles like it always does? Well, I think it's definitely cyclical. I, I agree with that part of it, but I think the defensive coaches have to be an extremely good leader of men. 
that's really the, 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 the tag that comes with that side of it, because you're right. Everybody's kind of looking for the new offensive guru. The one thing an offensive guy gives you from the standpoint of if he's going to still call plays. And I've always thought this and had this discussion with many people. If the offense, if the head coach is also the offensive coordinator and the play caller, he has a longer rope to call whatever he wants. He has no boss per se, right? Mm -hmm. He can, he can, he, you think Sean McVay cares what anybody thinks about the plays he calls? Of course not. Same with Sean Payton. He, he would take any play and do anything he wanted with it. But if that was a, a defensive coach who he was answering to, he might get his butt jumped a couple of times, you know, and maybe less aggressive. So I think there's pros and cons to both sides. I think so in, in this case, it's easier to see the value of offensive coaches when they come, like I say, especially if they're a play caller, it's harder for the fans and for most of your average NFL uh, knowledge people to know the impact a defensive guy brings because they don't get to measure that. They might not know that, you know, Jim Hazlitt was one of the best third down pressure package coaches I'd ever seen. You know, that's, that's not easy to identify when we watch games on TV. They don't get to see that part of it. So there are some specialties that come on both sides of the balls, but I think in, in general, you're starting with leadership, communication, people skills, all the above, and it really doesn't matter sometimes if it's offense or defense. When you talk about Jim Hazlitt like that, it makes me think about that season that Charlie Clemens had a double-digit sacks as a blitzer, yeah. and uh, yeah. getting off the field on third down it was certainly an effective year of doing that. Um, yeah, no question. Yeah. Uh, Randy, I, I'm curious, so just kind of getting back to I, – I feel like the Saints are in no man's land a little bit um, because of this. Look, they just went nine and eight. So they're kind of in that middle of the pack draft zone. Uh, certainly they're good enough to make the playoffs. If they have a healthier year, things break right for them. They had a tough season in terms of breaks. Uh, but on the flip side, as you look into the future uncertainty now with a brand new coach quarterback is unsettled, you invested a lot in your offensive line and it really hasn't delivered. So, now you've got guys with big time contracts and you have to make decisions about do you Teron Armstead, for example, do you absorb dead money this coming season with him off the roster or do you invest again in a 30 year old with an injury history where you're, you're sinking more money in that, into that player to maybe make him cheaper this year on your team versus off it. But then obviously you're more committed to that perpetuating itself. So I feel like the saints are in a tough spot where they can either liquidate everything, kind of fix their cap problems and reset, or they can continue down this path of pushing their problems into the future and trying to stay as competitive as possible. But we're starting to see on the offensive side of the ball, it's eroding a little bit and it's difficult to fix when you have these limitations. So I'm curious, just putting your GM hat on, if you're the GM, when, when you're in this no man's land period, how do you assess and when do you make the decision of, you know what, I'm going to do this one more year versus no, it's time to rip it to the studs and, yeah. and liquidate. I don't think anybody's willing to rip it to the studs and totally liquidate anymore. I think every year is a little bit different. I do think the saints are in a, in a tougher spot because of the amount of cap room they created last year. So to do that again is going to some, they're going to have to pay at some point. Let's just face it. You can't keep maxing out all your credit cards. Eventually you got to pay the bill. And so I think at some point that's possible. I, I do think, and I've alluded to this a couple of times, I do think a retool is always in place, but I think it may 
the, the, all of what we've talked about here, as far as a vacuum, um, a rebuild, um, what Sean is, what's missing now that Sean's gone, it all kind of leads me to a, a spot where they could probably use a set of eyes, another set of thinking in the team building aspect of it to, to kind of cover all of these kind of things. I think it would be, you could make a lot of sense to do something like that, to add to the mix, um, maybe some new ideas and a fresh perspective on, do we keep Armstead? Do we not keep Armstead? I've always been one. I'm, I'm for keeping all the good players we can. And if we can find a way to do it, do it. But they're getting to the point now cap wise where boy, oh boy, it's really hard. And they're going to really put pressure on the scouting department to have to keep hitting on fifth and sixth year, a uh, fifth and sixth round draft pick because we got to have minimum salary guys. So it ends up eating your depth to death. If you keep kicking the can, kicking the can, kicking the can. So I don't know. There, there's some, there's some issues. And I think they realize that. Um, but what, what I think they put a premium on is we're going to hunker down with our own guys. We're going to hunker down with our own staff. We're not going to bring any change or any different ways of thinking into the way we're building the team and valuing some of these parts that we're bringing in. We're going to stay the course. So we're going to have to trust that the rank and file is in place now that can make these decisions. Um, but you bring up a good point. Eventually, they're going to have to pay the piper for the, for the charging of all the credit they've used over the last couple of years. And you mentioned they have a lot of, lot of issues to work through, Andy. I feel like... You got to hit on those drafts. Yeah, I yeah, feel like... That's what it is. It's, it's become so difficult with the Saints. As you listed all the issues. I feel like, Randy, because the Saints need a quarterback, fans mm -hmm. and draft experts and tape watchers, whoever... They're talking themselves into the 2022 quarterback class that in December, most people, experts, people smarter than me, were like, eh, it's not that good. But now we're desperate for a quarterback, and I feel like it's a little bit of we're talking ourselves into the last girl at the bar at 2 a.m. <laughs> no, it's valid. I totally agree. I, I don't think much of this group this year at all, to be honest with you. I see one quarterback that – I would be okay with in the first round. And that's the picket kid from, from Pitt. The rest of these guys, I think are just creations of just what you said, whether it's a fan base or, or a group of media experts or, or just draft gurus that are on social internet. I just, I don't see it. I'm not looking for that, that kind of a player. So just because we have a need doesn't mean we can go pick one off a tree. I think that's a giant mistake. Same can be said sometimes at other positions as well. When I read these mock drafts nowadays, uh, at this time of the year, I just shake my head. No team knows exactly who they want to pick. No team even knows what position they're going to pick yet. There's just way too much water to go under the bridge. So mm -hmm. to say the Giants have narrowed it down to, to a, almost having to draft a tackle is ridiculous. The Giants don't know that yet. They haven't even went through the process. So that information is, is I think, fan, fantasy land at mm -hmm. this point. So you're right. I think the Saints have some hard decisions to make. They've got to figure out how to attack their own roster. They've got to attack some, in my opinion, identify some younger ascending players from free agency, a lot like we did when we got there the first year. Mm -hmm. We signed some guys who nobody heard of, didn't pay them a lot of money, and they turned out to be really good players, you know, like a Joe Horn, right. like a uh, Terrence Mathis, these guys that were were non-players elsewhere, but we signed a bunch of them. They've got to identify some younger ascending cheaper talent to mix in with a few of the draft picks that they do have. So 
it's a hard job. It's a process. Uh, far be it for me to have all the answers sitting 2,000 miles away, that's for sure. But it, it's, it's a strategy uh, there, Randy. When, when you talk about adding Mathis and Joe Horn, I, mean, I, re I remember that period very well. Is, it, is there kind of some internal knowledge that, hey, we like these guys, but we understand that they're not all going to work out. And so a lot of times it's just let's add a bunch of them knowing that a handful of them are probably not going to hit and we will get a couple that will ascend and outplay their contract value. It wasn't for me. I, I will say this, and I'm not patting myself on the back by any means because I'm bad at selling myself. There are some evaluators that are better at this than others. And you've got to identify and find something that nobody else sees. So you've got to keep grinding tape until you find something that nobody else sees and then be willing to put that player in a position in your scheme that can accentuate his strengths. That's what it comes down to, to me. We never signed a player. I've never drafted a player who I thought, well, let's just use the shotgun approach. Let's, let's get a whole bunch of these guys and our odds are, are better, you know, uh, because of the numbers. I, I, I've never done that. And maybe there's a way to do that. Sure. If, if I get five swings at the plate, I'm, you know, probably less likely to strike out, but I, I always find it's about fit when you're talking about these players. Mm -hmm. And if you can identify a characteristic or two that maybe some other scouts or evaluators aren't seeing for whatever reason and move that to your scheme, that's the best way to do it. And, and Hey, I don't know the Saints scouting department. I don't know their personnel people that well anymore. I'm sure they have some guys that are good at this, but then it's about getting someone to listen to them and actually then take it up the pole to make a decision at the top to acquire and team build. But that's why these clubs are supposedly the best in the world at doing this. And that's what a GM's job is, is to build a consensus and then find a way to pull the trigger to get it done. You know, Randy, your point just now, it made me think of a, of a question I wanted to ask you is, you know, the Saints with Dennis Allen and their defense, they sort of, and even on offense, the last 15 years, but especially the like last five to six, they had that sort of, Everybody was on the same page, and they were like, hey, for Dennis Allen, he, for example, he wants big defensive ends. We don't want the light pass rush only. We, we value stopping the run. We want gigantic defensive ends compared to everybody in the NFL. So Jeff Ireland sort of knew what he wanted, and they, and they drafted accordingly. Now, Sean Payton is gone. You're going to maybe have a new offensive coordinator, new, some new coaches on the offensive side. How difficult is it? to get that alignment up to speed where it's February and the draft seems it's like it's a far way off, but they haven't hired the offensive coordinator. You don't know what he wants specifically in wide receivers, running backs, whatever. How hard is it to get that alignment back in place that you had with Sean Payton and now you don't have any more? You guys are getting me fired up. I love that. I love the process of it. And this is the time to do it. You're right. The first, you know, list, first thing on the list of what we need to do is set our criteria by position in a priority. And we would sit around and do this sometimes for days, adjust the criteria. Here's the five things we think our receiver has to do. Let's put them in the order of importance. And we might spend a couple hours talking about one of these criterias and then line them up in the five in the in exactly the priority we want it and then we'll set our system and our and our way of identifying talent based on exactly that so you'd be shocked how many places don't do this they don't spend the time doing it i actually learned it 20 years in the league and, and we still didn't have the detail i like but you spend three years with nick saban you're going to come out of it knowing some details and and having some 
having your, your, your stuff tightened down. And that's what I learned uh, spending my time with him is we knew every little detail. So we all could identify it. You can build the criteria how you want per position. Then you have to be able to identify it on film. That's a whole nother process. And not only your scouts, but get your coaches involved as well. You'd be surprised how many coaches can't identify exactly what we're talking about either. So it's, if we're all exactly on the same page with what we're looking for, it sure makes the jobs easier to fill when the job description is understood by everybody. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's interesting to me. And, and that's a big uh, sort of a fear that I have because the, the Saints have had this comfort level for so long where, you know, Dennis Allen's been the defensive coordinator since what? What, Andrew, it's been since 2015 midway through. Yeah. You know, yeah. so they. It's Rob Ryan, yeah. So they know. I think it's safe to say there's going to be a period of adjustment. There has to be. I mean, that's just part of when you shuffle the chairs around, it's going to take a, 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 a different mindset by several people to adjust. And, and I think there'll be a little period of, of relearning, rethinking, but I don't think it's bad. I think the rethinking is, is really important. The relearning part will come, but I, I think again, to, to just stay the course, I think you're doing the whole place a disservice. You've got to try to look for different angles and, and some newness to, to spin on the whole operation. And now's a good time to do it. The key is a happy medium between being complacent, but the way we've done it for 15 years and, and, and not willing to change it. And now bringing in enough new life and new ideas. That's the key is, is where do we draw the line? You know, Randy, it's always a pleasure. I mean, we always appreciate you coming on. I feel like every time we talk to you, I, I learn something new. So we always really appreciate it. Uh, if you can tell our listeners uh, just a little bit about what you're up to, how they can find you, and um, what's next for you. Well, I've uh, been lucky enough to do a podcast for The Athletic for the last two years. Their national writer, Mike Sando, and I do a weekly show. comes out on Saturdays this season. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. I do that. Um, and I do a lot of media stuff around the country. People may have seen me. I've written for Fox and Mm-hmm. and do some Fox radio stuff as well. So just enough to keep me uh, busy and allow me to do a little fishing and hunting out West here. So <laughs> my uh, final, that's Randy's life for now. Anyway, my final question for you is Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, we're all rooting for, I am Cincinnati because Joe Burrow, LSU. Sure. Great. All of that. I just look at the Rams front and I'm like, how is Cincinnati <laughs> going to block how are they going to block it? I feel like it's going to be a little bit like Kansas City was last year in the Super Bowl with Tampa, where if you can't block them, Randy, your whole offense just grinds to a halt. What's your What's your thoughts on the on the Super Bowl before we let you get out of here? Hey, Joe Burrow got sacked nine times and they still won, so don't <laughs> right. give up on him. You That's know, right. <laughs> hopefully it won't come to that. But I, I don't know. I've tried to break it down a couple different ways in in checking the box for quarterbacks, running backs, defensive backs, whose team has this or that. I do think this, I think the the versatility that Sean McVay shows on offense gives them a lot of ways to score. And I think uh, Tennessee's offense was limited. They couldn't score. Kansas city decided to limit their own offense last, last week. And I think that Bengals benefited in both of those two games from offenses being stale. I just don't see that out of McVay. So you know, if I was picking as we sit here today, I think the Rams have more firepower and will be willing to use it more than some of these other teams did. So, you know, I, I think Burrow is the better quarterback of the two. I just don't know if he can carry the whole load uh, in this game. So I'd probably hang with the Rams just for now anyway. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be great. I can't if, – if Joe Burrow gets Ed Bergeron <laughs> a national title and Zach Taylor a Lombardi, I think it would be the most – 
incredible combination of coaches, get a quarterback getting a coach's winning title that I've ever seen. Like it, yeah. you know. Great story. It is, but Randy, we can't thank you enough uh, for joining us, and we're all going to look forward. I'm sure we'll talk to you down the road as the draft, salary cap, free agency seems like it's far away, but it'll be the middle of March before we know it. Guys, thanks for joining us, and we will see you again tomorrow.